0: Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the Bread of Life. Let us seek Him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. To kill something is to mortify it. To give life to something is to vivify it. These two words have been given by the theologians of old to tell us of the pattern the Christian is to live. The words are mortification and vivification. Christians have a job to do. They're to put to death the impulses in themselves that are not after the heart and will of God, and they are to stir up to life every action reflecting the joy of living in Jesus Christ. Remember, Christian— Your job is to be watching over yourself to kill off what is in you that is not all about Jesus Christ, and to stir up in yourself every impulse that delights in living for Him. The title of our sermon is Mortification and Vivification, and I won't have to say that word very many times because I can't. It's from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read the passage to you. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I hope that the idea of running actually sounds good to you. I don't know if it sounds good to you anymore, but I know that at some point in time in your life, I'm pretty sure it did sound good to you. I think that horses and humans are born with a quiver or a nerve within them that causes them and makes them want to run. And so as soon as a little colt or a little child is old enough to get their legs strong underneath them, they take off running and prancing and dancing and they can't go at just they very rarely go at a slow pace. And they only go at a slow pace as long as they are contemplating where it is they want to run to next. But as soon as they figure it out, they're off running Again, and as we get older, we kind of lose this impulse to let go and release ourselves and run. And whenever that impulse comes upon us, we know why it was we lost it. Just about a year ago, I don't know what came over me, but I was out in our community and I had to go to a certain location, it was about three blocks away, and I felt like running like I did when I was a kid. And I did, I ran, I sprinted as hard as I could to that location, got there, and I hurt for the next four or five days. I realized that there's a reason why we stop running as fast as we can at some point in time in our life, but I hope you haven't forgotten that impulse, that desire, that instinct. And I don't know when you used to feel it as a kid, but that instinct came upon me every time the school bell rang to release us from school. I didn't want to walk out of school. I wanted to run out of school, right? It came to me every time I laced up a new pair of tennis shoes, which was rare. Right? But you knew you were going to be faster once you got those shoes on. And you tried them out and you ran and you looked for some rock to leap off to launch yourself into space. And you knew the joy of not running anywhere in particular, but running at top speed to the point where you thought in any moment you were going to start flying. And you never did. You really weren't going that fast, but it sure felt like it, didn't it? As the wind was catching you in the face. And well, don't forget. That instinct or that desire, that passion that naturally belongs to you, that God gave to us naturally. And I think, actually, well, they say this at least, scientists say this when you see animals that like to run, that this is an instinct of prey. They learn to run so they can run away from predators. But it's an odd thing. If that's their survival instinct, God certainly gives them a lot of joy with that survival instinct, right? To run. The key thought in the passage that we're looking at here is to run and it's to run with endurance. When we're born again of God, there comes into us the reverberations of new life. A nerve, a new quiver of impulse is struck within us, and it comes to us because we've been made anew by the creative power of God, the Spirit, and we're born again, and that nerve and that quiver and that impulse to the one who has been spiritually born again is to Run is to run. It's to take off running, to follow him. I think of a poem that I heard my father quote to a man that he was discipling. We walked down the road to his house. He had made a profession of faith. We sat down, and I sat down and listened as dad began to take him through a discipleship lesson. And the man talked about all the issues in his past that had held him back and the regret he had for the way he lived. Dad said, Well, John Bunyan wrote a poem. It was Blessed be the day that I began a pilgrim for to be, and blessed also be the man that thereto moved me. Tis true was long ere I began to seek to live forever, but now I run fast as I can. Tis better late than never. He said, just run. I never forgot the poem. I heard it just that one time, and it stuck in my mind, and it's a wonderful thought, and it's true. And we just read Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31. And there again, God reminds us of this instinct or this impulse. And he reminds us that the spiritual instinct, the supernatural instinct that comes to the born-again man or woman, that instinct, that supernatural instinct is greater than just the natural instinct that comes to the average human being. He says this, even you shall faint and weary and young men shall utterly fall. We know in a natural way that's true. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I think we look at the verse and we think, well, that must be what God has promised for us in heaven. That's what we're going to experience when we get to heaven. We're going to arrive in heaven with a leap, and we're going to run to Jesus and throw ourselves into his arms. That's true. I think that's where it's going to have its ultimate fulfillment. But even now, if you've been born again, you know that there's an impulse that the Spirit of God has placed within you to race on, to run. That's what we're talking about here. We're going to approach the text somewhat in the order in which it's given to us by the author. I want to address this idea of running as we approach it. We'll get there. There's another thought I want to share with you, and it's one that I've shared with you over and over again from this pulpit, and it's about what comes to us when we receive new life in Jesus Christ. And what I've said over and over again is that when a person comes to Christ and they receive him, at that very moment, they're born again, they're made a new creature, and in a sense, they're given a birth certificate. And what I've said is not only do you receive a birth certificate, but before you get your birth certificate, you get a death certificate. Because what God does is He puts to death the old soulish man that you were, that soulish man that gave its directions and oversaw the application of life in your flesh, in your body, and He replaces that soulish man with a new spiritual man that's created in the image of Jesus Christ, born again. And so you get a death certificate where the old man is put to death, and you get a birth certificate where you become a new creature a spiritual man in Jesus Christ, and that person that you were, fallen in sin, under God's judgment, dies, and God raises up a new man created in the power of the Holy Spirit to take his place. When you're born again, not only do you have this this truth, that's like a theological truth, but you actually experience it to some extent. You experience being brought to the death that's required for that old man, and the experience you have is deep remorse and mourning for your sin a deep agony over your sin and all of the righteous judgment of God that your sin brings upon you, a misery for the separation that you feel because you know you're dead and separated from him, and that God awakens in you, and this is your experience, an experience of death and an impending death that's required and needed in order for God to bring you life, and then he brings you life, and you experience in God's forgiveness and in the reconciliation that he brings to you through Jesus Christ, that reconciliation that brings you in relationship with the loving God, you experience joy. You experience relief and gladness and celebration. That's an experience of death and life, you might say. That's experience of that thing that was passing away and receiving that thing that's come to you afresh and new. And you encountered great sorrow and desperation and brokenness and repentance and then you encountered great joy and exaltation and what God gave to you. And you mourned, and then you rejoiced, you wept, and then you laughed, you, you laid down to die, and then you rose up to live eternally in the life that Jesus Christ gave you. And that's the experience of salvation. And by the way, I want you to recognize those things. Because as you're dealing with and addressing people who maybe believe they're Christians, one of the things you do is you ask them to share their testimony with you, and what you're looking for are a poignant expression of those two experiences. You're looking for a poignant expression of repentance and brokenness and mourning and the deep anxiety of their sin, and then the breaking through of life, new life, that flourishing life. The instinct of the newborn believer to run and race into God's arms will help you know how to speak to them and how to encourage them and to even find out whether their testimony is true or not, which is important because you don't want them to presume upon something they don't have. Now, that experience I've just described is also the rhythm that comes to us in living out the life that God has given us. It's the rhythm of living out the salvation that God has given us on a daily basis. The new spiritual man that you've become because Jesus Christ has made you new in Jesus Christ has now been placed into your body, and He has a job to do. He's to be the director over your body, over the impulses and patterns and behaviors in which you've learned to live through the way you think with your mind, the way you feel with your emotional construction, and the way you act in the things that you do. And It's the same body, by the way, that you had before you came to Christ. And before, that body was under the control and direction of a soulish, broken, sinful, diseased man who actually to some extent let it do what it wanted it to do And steered it on but now your body is under the new direction of a new man the sinful man has died and the spirit of a new cleansed righteous man lives in your body a man created to glorify God and a man who's now called upon to call upon your body to glorify God with you it's the new you and now this is the work you have to do you got work to do when you become a Christian you have work to do What you have to do is you have to oversee and you have to push along your old body that once belonged to the old man now to live according to the dictates and will of this new spirit in you to live for Christ and to race on towards him. That's not an easy job, by the way, because the body is still the same old body it was. It's the same old body that got along quite well with the soulish man. And just to let you know, it's not as cooperative with the new man you are. Paul says because it's not cooperative, he has to do things like he has to beat his body to make it continue on in the race. When we get to heaven, God is going to give us glorified bodies. We're going to have bodies in which all of the contagion and disease of sin is going to be completely drawn out from within us. And it's going to leave us entirely. And every part of our body, all of the material elements of our brains and of our nerves and our system and all the natural physical impulses we have will be freed from any kind of taint of sin with its sinful appetites. And in that moment, our bodies will be in complete agreement with our spirits. And we'll run and not grow weary. And we'll walk and we'll not faint. And It'll be a glorious day, but until then, although you're a new person in Christ, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The body's not always cooperating. So this new person that you are has two things that we have to do with our bodies in order to live the life that God gives us. Well, you'll have to join us in our next broadcast where we'll talk about those two jobs we must do with our bodies and we'll take our direction from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Thanks for listening to Bread of Life. Each weekday, it is our privilege to share with you food from the table at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this message or to learn more about our fellowship, call us at 208-331-4096 or go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.